You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. We're beginning a new series today, and as you can see by the slide, it's called Set a Guard Over My Mouth. And uh, so, praise the Lord. You know, uh, this is for the person sitting next to you. This isn't for you. You know, I'm just kidding. (coughs) Excuse me. It's for every single one of us. And uh, so, let's make up our minds right now. That like the book of James says, we're not going to be just hearers of the word. We're going to be doers of it as well. And so if there's anything that that we're convicted about in our hearts, we'll make the change and we'll be obedient to what the word says. And so we're going to have a good time with this. But let's look at the foundation scripture found in the 141st Psalm. And uh, I'm going to read it from a couple of different translations just for today because I liked what they said. But the 141st Psalm, verses 2 and 3, say this, Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. You know, the Bible says also in the book of Revelation that our prayers go before the Father as, as, a, as an incense. It's a fragrance in heaven. Now, I don't fully understand all that. I just believe it because the Bible says so. But I believe that as we pray and as we worship, it's a sacrifice and it's a pleasing odor or scent to the Lord. And then the psalmist wrote, after he said that, he said something very interesting. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And so I, you know, I can't help but believe that maybe the two are connected, that God doesn't want a disconnect between our time of prayer and worship and our daily conversation, uh, the words that we speak on a regular basis as we navigate through life, they should all be the same. Now, I'm not insinuating that, you know, you need to be in prayer all the time, but there ought to be a connection between the words that we speak in prayer and worship and the words that we speak, again, on our jobs, uh, you know, as we are, are with friends and family and so forth. Let me just uh, give you a couple of different translations that will shed some light on it. Let's look at it in the contemporary English version. And it says this, Think of my prayer as sweet-smelling incense and think of my lifted hands as an evening sacrifice. Help me to guard my words whenever I say something. That's pretty, uh, pretty poignant right there. You know, uh, I don't know if, if you're like me, but sometimes, and, and I praise God, I'm growing in this, but how many of you have ever uh, put your mouth in action before you put your brain in action? Okay, you said something and then you thought about it and like, I shouldn't have, that, Gary, that's not for her. That's, I saw him nudging his wife and I was like, no, no, I'm just teasing. Let's look at it in the easy to read version. You know why they call this the easy to read version? Because it's easy to read. Okay. You guys are so sharp. Let's look at it. Accept my prayer like a gift of burning incense, the words I lift up like an evening sacrifice. 
Lord, help me control what I say. Don't let me say anything bad. And so we're going to look at, in this series, over the next few weeks, the power of our words. We're going to look at how important it is for us to be very uh, disciplined and intentional with our words and learn what the Word of God says about our words and the impact that they had not only on our lives but on the lives of those people around us. And so let's just jump right on in and if you're uh, following on the handout, let's look at Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 20. Proverbs 18 and verse 20 in the New King James says this, a man's stomach, that word stomach should be the, his belly, his innermost being. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. Somebody tell me, what kind of fruit does your mouth produce? Words, okay, words or what come out of your mouth. So he says this, a man's belly, his life shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth, or we could say the words of his mouth. And then he goes on to say, from the produce of his lips, what your lips produce, you shall be filled. Now I'm going to flip the script on this verse just a little bit, and I'm going to say this. Your life is filled with the words that you have spoken. That's what the, the writer is saying. He said, a man's belly, his stomach, his being shall be satisfied from what his mouth produces and from what your lips produce, you shall be filled. So if you're taking notes, write this down. I've got 10 things that I'm going to tell you about words today and I promise you we'll be out by 430, Okay. So 10 things. Here we go. Number one, your life is filled with what your lips are producing. Now that, that's a hard truth, but it is the truth. And so what that means is, is as you examine your life and you look over the context of your life and the way that it is today, I can tell you based on the authority of this scripture and others that your life is a, is, a, is a result of the words that you have spoken yesterday. Your life today, good, bad, indifferent, is a result of the words that you spoke yesterday. So again, number one, your life is filled with what your lips are producing. So let me ask you a question. Do you want your life to be full of everything that you need Okay. Do you want your life to be filled with peace? Do you want your life to be filled with joy and the blessing of the Lord? Well, then check up on your words first. Okay. See, here's what we have a tendency to do when we look at our lives and we see things that need to be changed. And I hope your life is going great. But if it's not, and you're, you, know, you examine it and you see some areas that need to be changed, what we have a tendency to do is start addressing stuff out here and changing things, changing environments, changing circumstances. And clearly what the Bible teaches us is that we need to start in here and start here first. All right? Are you listening? Okay, so let me just say this up front. What is the enemy's strategy? The enemy's strategy is to try and plant words in your thinking and in your heart so that you will begin to speak those words and then you will bring to pass what he wants to have come to pass in your life. Okay? So, 
Uh, you know, I know that that's, a, again, a tough saying right at the beginning, but it's the truth. And, you know, listen, the scripture says we're not ignorant of his devices, his schemes. And so what he endeavors to do, because again, let me give you this pattern, and I've, I've given this to you several times before, but what you think about, you eventually will believe. What you believe gets in your heart and you eventually say. And what you think, believe, and say will eventually come to pass in your life. And so that's true with God and his processes and what God endeavors to do in our lives. And the same thing is true with our enemy, our adversary. He desires to get his word sown into our thinking so that those things will begin to get in our hearts and then we'll begin to say them. And can I tell you this? Once you've done that, once you've gotten his thoughts into your thinking and down into your heart and you begin to say those things, you've, you've made his job really easy. Amen. Amen? All right, so we don't want that to happen. So this study, what we're looking at, set a guard over my mouth, is to learn how to shut the door. You know, there's an old song, children's song that we used to sing called Shut the Door and Keep Out the Devil. You remember that? Okay. Well, that's essentially what we're doing is we're learning how to shut the door so that our words do not give fuel to what he endeavors to bring to pass in our lives. Let's go on and read the very next verse, verse 21, Proverbs 18, 21. Now this one is a definitely a mic drop scripture. Okay. You know what I mean by that? If you read it, all you got to do is just let it hit. All right, here we go. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. I'm going to read it from a new trans, different translation in just a moment. But look, think about that for just a moment. In this little thing, right under your nose, now of course we know it's driven by something else, but it has the ability to produce death or life. Let me ask you a question. Do you want life or death? Life, okay? So what that tells me is that our tongue has the capability, the capacity to be able to produce words of death or life. Now, I'm going to read the easy to read version and uh, then I'm, I'm going to come back and I'm going to ask you a question, all right? Look at the easy to read version. The tongue can speak words that bring life or death. Now, just as a little side note, this is in our own lives and can affect other people's lives this way. Do you know you can speak death into somebody else's life? Okay. God forbid, but it's the truth. So the tongue can speak words that bring life or death. Those who love to talk must be ready to accept what it brings. And you know, there are people and you know, that just don't have any regard for what they say and they just say anything that flies off the top of their head and, uh, you know, don't think about it and, you know, people that just ramble and just say a bunch of unnecessary stuff and, and uh, so, you know, if you love that, if you love to talk, well, guess what? Be prepared because this scripture says you're gonna, you must be ready to accept whatever your words produce. Do you believe that today? I said, do you believe that today? All right, then let me pose a question to you, all right? And this is just a question to get us to think a little bit. How would we act if every word that we speak instantly came to pass? Okay, how 
would we act? What would we do differently if, if there was no, well, let's just use the word instantaneous. If, if, if there was something that I said and somehow God amped up the power where we're kind of up where he is, where what he says instantly comes to pass, what if that was true in our lives? What would we do with our words? Well, I've got news for you. It may not happen instantaneously, but they come to pass anyway. And see, that's the, that's the catch with us, a little bit different than God. But the catch with us is because we don't see instantaneous results, we think our words are not important, that they aren't producing in our lives. But I promise you, based on what we just read in the scripture, your words are producing for you, and they're producing one of two things, death or life. Or let's be on the positive, life or death. All right, so what do you want? Do you want life or death? Okay, so the choice is ours. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Now, I want to go over to uh, James, rather, James chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, and I want to look at these scriptures, and I'm going to read uh, them to you from the Passion Translation, and I want to give you a little bit of context. Can you imagine with me just for a moment what it would have been like to grow up in the same household as Jesus. Think with me for just a moment. You know, uh, he wasn't um, a robot, okay? He had fun, he played, he did all the things that children do. But uh, the difference between him and us is as he began to grow, the Bible says, he grew in the wisdom and stature of God, so as he grew in the household, and he had brothers and sisters, the scriptures tell us that. Now, we don't know what happened to Joseph, his earthly father, but because uh, he kind of just fell off the scene. But we do know Mary and his brothers and sisters were alive and around even up until and after his resurrection. And so what would it have been like to grow up in the household of Jesus as Jesus was beginning to get revelation from the word of God as to who he was and what his assignment is and was in the earth. Do you think he maybe did some things that were a little different than everybody else? Okay, not weird, not spooky, just different, all right? I believe that as he grew up, he began to get a revelation of what, we talk, what we're talking about here. He learned what is or the, the power that his words possessed. And the reason we know that is because we can see that later on in his ministry. Now, my point in saying all of this is James, who wrote the book of James, is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He grew up in the same household. He uh, went on to, uh, of course, give his heart to the Lord. He, he, after Jesus was raised from the dead, the Bible says that his siblings, uh, you know, were born again as well. And James went on to pastor the church at Jerusalem. Now, later on, he ended up leaving Jerusalem. But my point is this, what we're getting ready to read, this man saw firsthand in the life of Jesus. 
All right, so let's look at this. James chapter 3, verse 1. My dear brothers and sisters, don't be so eager to become a teacher in the church since you know that we who teach are held to a higher standard of judgment. We all fail in many areas, but especially with our, what's the next word? Words. He went on to say, yet if we're able to bridle the words we say, we are powerful enough to control ourselves in every way. Man, think about that. In other words, if you have some area of your life that's out of control, um, don't work specifically on that area. You can work on that area, but let your start with your words is what he's telling us. He says, yet if we're able to bridle the words we say, we are powerful enough to control ourselves in every way, and that means our character is mature and fully developed. Verse 3, horses have bits and bridles in their mouths so that we can control and guide their large body. And the same with mighty ships, though they are massive and driven by fierce winds, Yet they are steered by a tiny rudder at the direction of the person at the helm. And so the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it carries great power. We just read that in Proverbs. Just think of how a small flame can set a huge forest ablaze. You know, most of the time when you read about the wildfires out west in California and other parts of the country, you know, I would say a large portion of them, not all of them, but, but a large portion of them are not necessarily man-made. You know, some of them happen when a lightning strike happens. But there are some that are man-made. You know, somebody flicks a cigarette out of a car into some dry brush or, you know, something like that. So think about how that small ember, very, very small is able to start a massive fire that causes tons and tons of damage. Well, that's the illustration that he's giving to us. And he says, and the tongue is a fire. It can be compared to the sum total of wickedness and is the most dangerous part of our human body. I don't know about you, but my tongue has got me more in trouble than my ear has. <laughs> Maybe you're different. I don't know. Okay, it corrupts the entire body and is a hellish flame. It releases a fire that can burn throughout the course of human existence. Think about this. You know, a lot of times in history, what we remember and what we study are words that people spoke centuries ago that are still prevalent today. He says, for every wild animal on earth, including birds, creeping reptiles, and creatures of the sea and land, have all been overpowered and tamed by humans, but the tongue is not able to be tamed. Now, I want to, want to pause right here, and I want to say something. I, I didn't necessarily include this in your notes, but if, if you want to think about this and maybe write this down, it would be helpful. He did not say the tongue cannot be tamed. He said it can't be tamed by humans like the animals can. Okay, notice what he said. For every wild animal and so forth and so on have all been overpowered and tamed by humans, but the tongue is not able to be tamed. Implying that you will not be able to tame your tongue in your own, own human strength and ability. It's going to take some supernatural help from God. 
Okay, so keep that in mind. Uh, it's a fickle, unrestrained evil that spews out words full of toxic poison. We use our tongues to praise God our Father and then turn around and curse a person in traffic when they pull out in front of us who was made in his very image. I added that little part. I don't know if you noticed that. Out of the same mouth, we pour out words of praise one minute and curses the next. My brother and brothers and sister, this should not be. All right? So let's look at point number two. Write this down, please. Your tongue affects your entire life. There's not one area of your life that your tongue does not impact. Let's look at James 3, 2. He said, we fail in many areas, but especially with our words. Yet if we're able to bridle the words we say, we are powerful enough to control ourselves in every way, always. So what that means is, is if I can discipline what I say, I can impact my life in every way. Same thing is true in the negative. If I don't discipline my words, then they are impacting my life in every way, whether I like it or not, okay? All right, so you need to understand your tongue affects your entire life. Now, here's number three. Your tongue determines the direction of your life. Your tongue determines the direction of your life. James said this in verse 3, horses have bits and bridles in their mouths so that we can control and guide their large body. Now, I have family members down in Florida that are into horses, I mean big time. My, I have a family member that owns a tax store where they sell saddles and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, so they're really big into that. So when I'm around them, I become more aware of horse riding and and, you know, it brings out the cowboy in me a little bit as much as it is in there. But one thing I have learned is that when you want to get on a horse and ride it, you don't even have to put a saddle on it, but you must put something on that horse called a bridle that has a bit that goes in its mouth with reins attached to that bridle. And so when you want the horse to go in a specific direction, you pull on the reins in that direction and it puts pressure on the mouth of that horse and turns the horse in the direction that you want it to go. If you want to stop that horse, you pull on both the reins at the same time and it puts pressure on the mouth of that horse and pulls the horse back and makes it stop if it's been trained appropriately. But the thing that I'm wanting you to see is James brings out this illustration. If you want to steer a horse, you put pressure on its mouth. If you want to put, change the course of your life, put some pressure on your mouth. He goes on to say, he said, And the same with mighty ships, though they are massive and driven by fierce winds, yet they're steered by a tiny rudder at the direction of the person at the helm. You know, I don't know if you, you know, godly, they're building humongous cruise ships these days. And, uh, I mean, just that, you know, hold thousands of people and have hundreds and hundreds of rooms on board. And they're just huge, huge ships. Not only that, but the military ships, you know, that we're building these days. The aircraft, new, new size of aircraft carriers, they're huge. But if you look at it in perspective and you study that ship, 
there is something in the back called the rudder. And in comparison to the size of that ship, the rudder is very, very small. Now, you know, nowadays they have what they call thrusters that they put on the ships that can pivot and turn and help them steer, uh, you know, particularly cruise ships that have to pull into a dock. You know, I was amazed. I went on a cruise, oh gosh, in 1999. It's been a long time. But I was amazed at how when we pulled out of the port at Miami, you know, I'm thinking, okay, there's not enough room for him to turn this thing around. Because we pulled out in the water, the causeway there, and, you know, we're supposed to be heading out to sea, but we're pointed in the wrong direction. And I'm like, he's not going to be able to turn this thing around. Well, sure enough, he pulls out there into the middle of the bay and just turns those thrusters on and it just turns the whole ship around, almost does a 180 right there where it sits, and then we're heading in the right direction. But my point is this, and James's point is this, that that rudder, that steering mechanism on that ship, in compared to the size of the ship, it is very, very small, but yet wherever that captain or whoever is navigating and steering the ship, wherever they want that ship to go, they just have to turn that rudder just a little bit and it'll change the course of that ship. So what James is telling us is that again, if you want to change the direction of your life, change the direction of your tongue. Okay, can I get an amen? A cough or something, all right? So... Your tongue determines the direction of your life. Here's number four, all right? Your tongue can inject poison into your life and or the lives of other people. Your tongue can inject poison into your life and or the lives of other people. Now, I don't think there's anybody sitting in this room today that would knowingly take poison. I mean, you know, you're... you're facing death, you know, possibly if you do that. But listen to what the scripture says, James 3, 7, and 8, for every wild animal we already talked about, uh, you know, on earth, including birds, creeping reptiles, creatures of the sea and, and land have all been overpowered and tamed by humans, but the tongue is not able to be tamed. Look at this. It's a fickle, unrestrained evil that spews out words full of toxic poison. So again, it doesn't have to be that way, but an untrained, unbridled tongue is capable of spewing out words full of toxic poison. You know, I think all of us would probably say at some point in our lives, our lives have been impacted because of the words of somebody that spoke into our lives both good or bad. You know, if you had a teacher or a professor or a coach or somebody that knew the power of what they said and, you know, they were able to speak into your life to encourage you to become what you needed to be and what you could be and to reach your potential, then those words are helpful. But if you've ever had a family member or somebody else speak negative words into your life like, you know you're never going to amount to anything. Nobody in our family has ever amounted to anything, and you're just like the rest of us. And you know, if you've ever had somebody speak words like that into your life, it can bring poison into your life if you let it get down on the inside of you. Now, the good news is we have words that the creator of the universe spoke over us and we can override those negative words that were spoken into our lives and basically negate them and take the power out of them. Amen? Yeah. 
All right, so your tongue can inject poison into your life or and or the lives of other people. Now write this down, please. Number five, I told you we were going to go through these quick. It wasn't going to be maybe but four o'clock, all right? I must, I've already pushed it back a half hour. All right, number five, you have a choice in what your tongue says. Now you'd be surprised that the revela- that's a revelation to some people that I don't have to say whatever pops into my little old head. Okay? I don't have to say everything that I see and think about. I do not have to attach words to it. You know, we just got through uh, studying on uh, Wednesday night, I think it was. I'll get my series is mixed up. But in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 25, when no, it was in uh, talking about the peace of God with worry. Jesus said this, take no thought saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we put on? In other words, worried thoughts come to all of us. But if you never attach words out of your mouth to those thoughts, those thoughts will die unborn and will not be able to produce in your life. Okay, so you have a choice in what your tongue says. James chapter 3 and verse 10 I'm going to read this from the Message Bible. It says this, curses and blessings out of the same mouth. My friends, this can't go on. So the implication from this verse is that we have a choice, that we can stop it if we choose to. Okay? Now, here's what we looked at just a moment ago when when we talked about the direction of your life. But uh, number... Did I, did I skip one? I sure did. I skipped number six. Well, number six is this. Uh, you can change the direction of your life by changing your words. Okay, that's similar to what we just said earlier about the direction of your life. Number six is you can change the direction of your life by changing your words. Again, if you don't like where your life is headed, change what you're saying. Okay? Now, number seven How, where do we get what we talk about on a consistent basis? Well, Jesus said this. He said, and I'm summarizing, then we'll look at the scripture. Number seven is this. Your words are shaped by what you deposit in your heart. Your words are shaped by what you deposit in your heart. Okay? So if... And, and then we're talking about words on a consistent basis. You know, we all say stuff, you know, just popping off. But I'm talking about if I, if I hung around you for a day and followed you around everywhere you went and listened to what you said on a consistent basis or you did the same thing with me, you would be able to tell what has been deposited in my heart and I would be able to tell what has been deposited in your heart, okay? So the scripture says this in Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said this, do you believe Jesus? If he said it, do you believe it? Do you believe he told the truth? Okay, let me try that one more time. Do you believe Jesus told the truth? Okay, (laughs) all right. So he said in verse 34, you offspring of vipers, talking to the religious leaders, how can you speak 
good things when you are evil or wicked. And here's the key right here. For out of the fullness, parenthetically, the overflow, the superabundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I'm going to just extract what Jesus said here. Your words are an outward expression of what's in your heart overflowing. So if you talk fear all the time, or you talk death all the time, or you talk lack or, or you know, poverty or those types of things all the time, then I can trace that back based on what Jesus said. That's what's in our hearts in abundance. Hallelujah. Verse 35, the good man from his inner good treasure flings forth good things out of his mouth, I'm adding that, and the evil man out of his inner evil storehouse flings forth evil things. So let me illustrate this to you, and I'm just going to be very transparent for a moment. You know, and I, I've told you this before, but, but keeping in mind this scripture, if, if you know, something arises and, uh, you know, thank goodness I've grown in my walk with the Lord. I, have, I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect uh, that much, uh, but I'm getting there. No, I'm just kidding. But what I want you to see is this. You know, if in traffic, and I use that all the time because that's a sore spot with me sometimes. In traffic, you know, if, if people aren't doing what I need them to do and they're driving crazy-like, okay? Anybody ever seen anybody? If you don't raise your hand, you're the one we're talking about, okay? <laughs> All right, so... You know, and so what happens is, particularly, you know, if somebody pulls out in front of me or on the interstate or, oh, I tell you, one, my pet peeve is for me to be doing 70 miles an hour down the interstate and somebody get right on my bumper. Oh, gosh, that raises my blood pressure immediately. And, uh, you know, it's a big temptation to want to pump the brakes a little bit. But I don't, okay, because I know that they're probably not paying attention and I don't want them sitting in my back seat, okay? But here's the thing. So when something like that happens, if in, and it gets right about here, some words that I shouldn't say because of that frustration. Now, I'm just talking about me. I'm not, I know y'all don't do this, okay? All right? And those words get about right here. Some of them get like right here. Some of them get even like right here before I'm able to stop them, okay? Well, you know, thank goodness, uh, you know, I haven't, I, I don't let it fly out of my mouth. So I am a little disciplined in that area. But the question that arises after it's all said and done was where did that come from? Because I don't, think that way on a normal basis. I don't, you know, I don't cuss every other opportunity I get or anything like that. So where did that come from? And invariably, the Holy Spirit always poses the question to me, what have I been depositing in my heart? Somebody says, well, what does that mean, pastor? Well, that means like, 
What do you sit and feed on on television or movies or music or those types of things? You need to understand, y'all, those things are sowing stuff on the inside of you. Now, you know, a lot of it, we can, we're able to deflect and just kind of let it run out like a water off a duck's back. But we need to realize some of those things might be sticking. Well, praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Just, you know, grab the hand of the person next to you and sing Kumbaya with me. All right, I'm just kidding. But that's what we need to be aware of. Now, notice it's, Jesus said, out of the overflow. Now, you know, occasionally, because we're in the world. We're not of the world, but we're in the world. So we're going to hear some stuff. We're going to be around some stuff. But it's what we are letting get in our hearts in abundance to where it overflows. Okay, anybody ever had a pot on the stove that overflowed? Okay, you know, it's fine as long as it's in the pot, it's contained, and, uh, you know, you don't want it to, you know, get any worse, but sometimes, you know, it can boil over. Well, that's what Jesus is saying is that the words that we speak are a result of what is in our hearts in abundance. So let me, put, let's just flip the script and let's go on a positive. So let's say when that person gets on my bumper, I want to declare blessings over them. <laughs> I'm being, uh, uh, you know, funny, but so what do I need to be depositing down on the inside of me? Words of blessings. Pray for that idiot, Father. I pray for him. I lift them up right now. Help them, Jesus. They need help. Angels, do the best you can. Hang on and protect them, you know, everywhere that you can. So again, the thing that I want you to see in one of our points introduction on today's message is this. Your words come about because of the overflow and superabundance of the heart. Now let's look at number eight. Number eight is this. Jesus was very disciplined and intentional in how he used his words. Jesus was very disciplined and intentional in how he used his words. Now why do you think that was? Somebody tell me. Why do you think Jesus, because he was a son of God? No, he was, but that's not the reason. What'd you say? What'd you say, Beverly? Spent time with the Lord, so y'all both kind of said the same thing. Okay, that's true. Oh, you just, you just imitated her. <laughs> She's like, that, that sounded right. I'm just going to say it anyway. Yeah, that's it exactly. He knew the power of his words. He knew what Proverbs 18 said. That it, it, again, that what he would say would come to pass. Okay? So he was very selective. And you know, I, I teach all the time and I tell you all the time, Jesus did not do random and he didn't do accidental. He was very disciplined in his words, you know, there's not one time in the Gospels where we heard Jesus say something off color to the disciples and they go, I'm just kidding. Okay, no, he didn't do that kind of thing. Now, Jesus, again, don't get it in your mind. Don't go in the ditch on the other side of the road that Jesus just walked around 
and had a halo and a white robe and he had a little lamb underneath this arm and he walked around and the angels constantly were, ah, you know, and, and he just walked around and he would stop and say, verse 16, for God so loved the world. No, that's not the way Jesus functioned. Jesus was funny because uh, he, he, you know, said some funny things in the gospels. He was also very serious at times. So let me show you an example of this. Okay, look at, and this might seem like a weird example, but it jumped out to me. Luke chapter four, verses 38 and 39. It says this, now this is early on in Jesus' ministry. He's just chosen, you know, Peter and, and James and John and Andrew, Peter's brother. And so he went into the synagogue. He cast the demon out of a man that was there in the synagogue and then he leaves the synagogue and it says, now he arose from the synagogue and entered Peter's house, Simon Peter's house. But Simon's wife's mother, his mother-in-law was sick with a high fever and they made request of him concerning her. So he walks in, he gets through over at the synagogue and Peter's house was just a little ways down from the synagogue. And so he walks into Peter's house and the first thing they say is, Hey, uh, Jesus, do you mind ministering to uh, Peter's mother-in-law? She's, she's down with the fever. She's not able to move and, and, you know, she's just really not doing well. And so verse 39, it says, So Jesus stood over her and prayed about the fever. And it left her. Huh? What, what? That's not what it says? Let, well, let me, verse 39. So he stood over her and begged and pleaded that if it was the will of God, that God would heal his mother-in-law. No, not at all. He walked right in the room, stood over her, and the Bible says he rebuked the fever. Now, we're going to get into this in this series, but what, or, or let me say this, was Jesus talking to Peter or Andrew or Peter's wife or even his mother-in-law? No. Who was he talking to? The fever. So what that tells me is, now, I'm not trying to get weird on you, but I'm, I'm wanting you to see a truth. That tells me Fevers can hear. And if I, I'll just go on out there, I'm already on a limb a little bit. Let me go on out there and say this. If fevers can hear, cancer can hear. Fear can hear. We know demons can hear because Jesus clearly dealt with them. But I, I looked it up in the Greek and, and it says, so he stood over her and forbid the fever from continuing. That's what rebuked means. Okay? So Jesus was extremely disciplined. And again, it says, so he stood over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. And, and you know, let's pretend like that period is not there. And immediately. So she didn't have to lay around for another two weeks and recover. She didn't have to go to the hospital and, and make sure that she, you know, got everything that she needed and all of that. No, when Jesus 
spoke to the fever, the fever listened to him and left her immediately. And she stood, arose, and served them. So she felt so good that she was able to get up and go in the kitchen. And the Bible says, implies that, uh, and I think one of the other gospels actually says that she prepared a meal for them. Okay? So she must have felt pretty good. How many of you ladies, when you, you know, you felt bad, uh, you know, it, it took a moment and you really didn't feel like getting up and cooking dinner for anybody? You know, took a minute to recover. All right. Plus, human nature is some of us, and I'm going to include myself in this, some of us like to milk it a little bit. Okay. I can't, honey. I can't. All right. Anyway. But here's the thing, and we're going to talk about this. Somebody will say, but you can't, that's just crazy. You can't talk to stuff, you can't talk to sickness. You can't talk to disease. Oh, really? Well, Jesus talked to trees. So apparently trees can hear. Oh, that's weird, Pastor. That's just weird. Oh, oh you've gotten out there and strange stuff now. No, Jesus talked to a tree. Now, again, Somebody might say, and I'm going to park here for just one second. Somebody might say, well, he could do that because he was the son of God. Oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Philippians tells us that Jesus set aside everything that made him the divine son of God when he came into the earth and the scripture says he made of himself a form like you and me. So what am I saying to you? Yes, Jesus did it. And yes, Jesus was the son of God, but he did it as a man anointed by the spirit of God. Why did he do that? Why did he posture himself that way? So that he could set an example. And let me ask you a question, y'all. Think about what this might mean to the devil. You know, if you're the devil and you're witnessing what's going on in Jesus' ministry, and you see one Jesus speak to a fever, and the fever instantly breaks and gets off the woman, and she's able to get up and minister to other people, all right, what would happen, and what do you think would cross your mind if you were all of a sudden faced after the death, burial, and the resurrection of that man, millions potentially, of people who believe the same thing that Jesus did and got turned loose in the earth, what effect that could have. Wouldn't you be inclined to maybe sow some teaching in the church that says, well, no, that's Jesus. Only Jesus can do that. Not you, because you're not Jesus. Okay. And, and by the way, all that passed away at the end of the book of Acts. So why, do you understand why he would sow stuff like that in the church in order to, and I mean church universal, to stop that kind of ministry, that level of ministry happening? Because what would happen if, if about a thousand of us realized 
Death and life are in the power of my tongue. And I, as a born-again believer, anointed by the Spirit of God, can talk to a fever, can talk to a cancer, can talk to a tree, just like my master did. Well, praise the Lord. All right, let's go on. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3. I want to use this scripture and then we're going to begin to wrap up here. This is my first closing. I'm allowed five. Okay, by faith, Hebrews of ages, this is the end. faith we understand that the worlds during the successive ages, this is the amplified, were framed, fashioned, put in order, and equipped for their intended purpose by the word of God so that what we see was not made out of things which are visible. Okay, so what this verse is saying is God stood out on the edge of eternity when there was nothing but darkness and opened his mouth and spoke words and all of a sudden those words went to work and caused stuff that couldn't be seen in the natural to all of a sudden show up in the natural to where they could be seen and experienced. I love the way the Amplified says it. He fashioned it, put in order, and equipped for their attended purposes. Because you remember in between uh, Genesis chapter 1, 1, when it says God created the heavens and the earth, verse 2 says, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. I'm not going to get into this today, but there was some things that happened between verse 1 and verse 2 that I can't get into. But how many of you know God does not create stuff chaotic and full of darkness? But what God did to straighten that out was he spoke and it says that he put some stuff in order. He rearranged it so it could be equipped for its intended purpose. In other words, uh, he, he caused some stuff to line up and put it in order with his words. Do you see that? Okay. Now, why is it that we can speak to a fever. We can speak to a tree. We're going to talk about it. Don't, don't think I'm crazy. It's in the Bible. Okay. Why is it that we can speak to those things and see results? Well, let me show you. And we're going to expand on this in this series. So I'm just wanting to pique your interest a little bit. Number nine is this. If created things were formed by God's spoken word, then they can be changed by God's spoken word. If created things were formed by God's spoken word, then they can be changed by God's spoken word. Uh, let me add this. If it came into existence by the spoken word, it can be altered by the spoken word. Now, that's not going to hit you right now. I'm praying it'll hit you on the way home. That everything you see in creation, everything that came about in creation was put there because of words that were spoken by our Heavenly Father. And when you need to understand, and I'm going to jump the gun a little bit here, but you need to understand that things don't know the difference who speaks God's word, either it's coming out of God's mouth or it's coming out of your mouth. It doesn't care. It responds. 
Well, that's a little far-fetched, Pastor. Well, just hang on. Buckle your seatbelt. All right? Let me give you number 10, and I want to leave you with this. All right? Anybody, um, anybody ever watch the weather? Okay? Anybody ever watch the weather channel or, you know, uh, those channels that tell us what's going on? Okay? What does a weather forecaster do? Um, do they spend the majority of their time telling you what you could see if you just stepped out of your house? What do they do? They spend, they might acknowledge that, yeah, it's cold outside or it's cool or it's raining. But what do they spend the majority of their time doing? What do you call that when, okay, here's what I want you to see. You and I aren't called to be reporters. We're called to be forecasters. Okay, see, so many of us are reporters. You know what reporters do? They report and say, call it like they see it. Forecasters do something different. Forecasters might acknowledge what they see, but they forecast what's coming. In other words, if there's a change that's coming in the weather, they start talking about it, okay? Now listen, I know they have all kinds of scientific instruments and, you know, models and things that can, and now AI to help them, you know, determine weather patterns and all that kind of stuff. But the thing that I want you to see is, is they stand in front of a map, and I was thinking about this the, old, uh, the other day. I'm old enough to remember and I'm going to date myself with this, okay? I know Kathy's not old enough to remember this, all right? But I remember when the weatherman used to stand in front of a piece of glass with a map on it and had a magic marker and drew and said, there's a low pressure coming right here and it's going to move across. Do y'all remember that? Does anybody else remember that before computer graphics and all that stuff? All right? Evelyn, you do not remember that. Stop lying. You're too young. You're too young. Everybody knows Gary robbed the cradle, all right? But my point was this. <laughs> my point is this. A forecaster looks at what's coming and begins to tell us that that is what is coming. And so what God has done is God has given us a map. And on that map, he's told us certain things that can come, that can be coming around the corner, that could be upcoming in your life. All he needs you to do is to begin to forecast it. Stand in front of the map and say, well, I see that there's a low pressure right here and it's going to start moving this way and it's going to start bringing healing in my life. Or the blessing of God is up here in the northwest part of the country and it's going to start moving across and it's going to be impacting my life. And not only, like we sang earlier, not only is it going to impact my life, but it's going to impact the life of my children and their children and my children's children for a thousand generations. Amen? Amen. You're called not to be a reporter but to be a forecast. So let's read this last scripture, Romans 4, 17. As it is written, I have made you, again, the Amplified, the Father of many nations. He was appointed our Father in the sight of God in whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead 
and speaks of the non-existent things that he has foretold and promised as if they already existed. What is this saying? This is saying that God forecasted that Abraham was going to be the father of a multitude before his wife ever got pregnant. And God, the, the old King James says it this way, he called those things which be not as though they were. Amen? Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.